You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Gracious God, thank you for today, uh, uh, for your word, um, for, for scripture, uh, which alone uh, calls us, uh, sustains us, makes us, remakes us, um, uh, for your word, which creates and recreates, um, which calls us to repentance and then restores us by its grace, uh, uh, by the grace of your son, Jesus Christ, the word incarnate, um, be with us now and let your word go forth in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, come on in. Uh, just moving through this series, six weeks, um, on the downhill slope, which is hard to believe. I still feel like I'm sort of getting a word of what this class is, this little series is about, a six-week series. Christ coming to you. Um, it's on the Gospel of Mark, kind of moving through uh, different scenes from it. As much as anything else, this is not a verse-by-verse or a chapter-by-chapter study. It's too too short. Um, although Mark is the shortest gospel, 16 chapters. Um, uh, this is only a six-week series, trying to get the flavor of what uh, uh, Mark, the, the evangelist, wanted to tell us. Um, and wasn't my intent at the beginning of this, but the word that keeps coming back to me, um, as I say almost every time I do a series like this, I, I do these I think for myself, and then whoever wants to come and hear it, you know, you're welcome to, to come. Um, uh, repentance is the word which I keep coming back to, and we're going to see it again this morning. Um, it is one of the primary, it's a big biblical word, it's one that's all over the, the Bible, but it's one that Mark uses in particular, with particular intent, uh, but just wanted, it's the word which I think the Lord is telling me something about, and so I'm just sort of the vehicle and relaying it. Back to you, where repentance, um, the emphasis, not so much on the attitude, the orientation, certainly the actions of what we're supposed to do in order to express our sorrow to God um, for, uh, for breaking his law, for not being the people that we want to be, for not being the people that we think or know that he wants us to be. And so we usually say, Lord, I need to come to repentance, um, but I don't want to, and so you have this inner struggle, et cetera, and so forth, at least I do. Uh, uh, people don't want to come to it and say, basically, I'm sorry. It's funny how hard it is, but if you're a parent, you know immediately how hard it is for human beings to say, I did wrong, I'm sorry, I don't want to do this anymore, you were right, I was wrong. Just that kind of language is not natural to us. And I think we normally think of repentance, I normally, and it's not completely absent of this, but normally think of repentance as something that I need to gin up or muster or sort of come to one way or another um, to, to, uh, to put enough tokens in slot A so out of the slot comes grace or something else like that, God meeting me in, a, you know, in, my, um, in my sorrow, in my repentance or whatever. Uh, I don't think that's it. Um, I think Christ coming to us, which is the title of the series, is uh, remains appropriate on the first day, the middle days, and the last day of our life in Christ. He comes to us. We don't go to him. Even uh, as the gospel is for Christians and not just for people who don't yet know him, and you have the gospel invitation, you respond to it, et cetera, and so forth, that he comes to us on our birthday 
on the 1st of October 2017 in our deathbeds. Um, Christ is always coming to us, giving us even the gift of repentance. And what is repentance? Repentance is seeing things as they actually are, coming to a, um, a clear sightedness, a clear hearing, a clear apprehension of, of reality. And so that's where I use this, this little hand to try to pull in a little bit of some shorthand motions. And so it's those balls. I told the story about my grandfather, you know, those desk toys that go back and forth. That's what I have in mind. That, uh, that something happens. Sometimes it's a word, and that's the word of Scripture. Um, uh, but sometimes it's something else. We're going to look at another video this morning that pulls us up short, where suddenly all the, what we sometimes call the hubris, you might even call it denial, minimization, just not seeing things as they actually are, um, acting like I was in control or acting like, um, uh, you know, my, my sitting in judgment over somebody else. Um, uh, or as this video, which we'll see, uh, a man who has a mistress and he sort of justified it by going through all the mental gymnastics to kind of come to it. Well, you know, my wife, she, she always does this and she's done it for years and it sort of bothers me and you know, the ledger gets longer and longer and he kind of comes to the place of like, yeah, well, you know, this is okay. I, I kind of deserve this. That's an unrepentant life is what I want to say. Not so much because we don't feel bad. It's just because I don't see things the way they are. And that's the fundamental axiom that I keep chasing in this class too, is we not only don't see things the way they are actually, we can't see things the way they are. By the definition of sin, um, the brokenness in the world, my own actions, but more than that, just the, the melu, the, the atmosphere, the water in which we swim, um, what's original to us at our birth. Or as the psalmist would say, in my mother's womb, I was sinful. Um, I was corrupted. It's genetic. It's original. That's the word original sin. That I can't not not see things the way they are until something happens and it displaces me and it forces me to see something clearly. That can sometimes be something wonderful and it could sometimes be something awful. Um, there's a lot of things which might provide that force which shifts things around. So that's kind of the, 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 the meta narrative, the meta topic of the whole class. One of the big subtopics is, of course, is it's the gospel. Um, the, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of course, the places in the scripture which talk about the life, death, um, the life, teachings, death, and resurrection of, of Jesus. And it's just to confront Jesus as he actually is. Confront Jesus, let the word tell us who Jesus is, rather than us going to the word saying, I think I need Jesus to be for me so I can either preserve my wealth or have some hope for uh, the break, which I think I'm, I'm owed, or somehow it's due me. And so we, 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 we bring our agendas, our prejudices, our prejudgments, to the scriptures. Again, we can't not not because of all that we just said about not seeing things the way they are. And so the scriptures themselves mark in a particular way um, with all of his verbs and his, his breathlessness to, to run to the cross, that path strewn with sinners is, is a book, um, a new book out, uh, calls it. Uh, he has words which sometimes do this to us. Sometimes it's a big wrecking ball and you're like, go. Sometimes it's just, oh yeah, 
Um, I can't, as one person said, domesticate the Lion of Judah. I can't declaw the Lion of Judah and make him into a house cat. He's not for me to um, to tame, to control, to to put into a box, to put on the dock, as C.S. Lewis would call it. The dock in the English court system is the uh, witness stand, I guess is what we call it. Is that right, Hayes? What we, um, put, put them up there so the lawyers can examine and cross-examine. Um, uh, in England, they call that the dock. We can't put God in the dock. Um, there is no cross-examination of, of God. Um, so Jesus being an equally... Um, equally opportunistic offender then. Um, he offends us, and that offense is one of the words of repentance. To, uh, to those on the inside, especially he, you know, what are often called the scribes and the Pharisees and the keeper of the law, he loved to be offensive to them. Just in the interim between where we were last time in Mark 5, we're going to be in Mark 7 and 8 this morning, um, he lays into... Uh, the church folk of his day, the scribes and the religious leaders, in Mark six seven six, just to pick one part. Well, did you know, just dripping with uh, I'm not sure I'd call it sarcasm. It's not that. Um, with uh, it's just a it's a it's a double edged, a triple edged, a quadruple edged word. Um, well, did Isaiah prophesy to you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandments of God in order to establish your tradition. So that's criticizing those on the inside. If you want to do on the outside, uh, lays into an outsider, the Gentile, the Syrophoenician woman. Um, you know, parenthetically, fantastic sermon, one that I'm really going to remember for a long time that Andrew preached on this passage a few weeks ago. But still stands, Mark 7:27, uh, to uh, uh, to someone who's poor and destitute, the outcast, and on the inside ring, who was unclean by any definition of, of of the standard of the day, and she's on her knees, literally at the table of Jesus, saying, "Would you please help me?" And he turns to her. His first word is, "It is not right to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs." So whatever we want to say about Jesus. He, these ideas of Jesus as meek and mild, or live and let live, or you be you and I be me, you know, this kind of attitude, it's just not, you, you, can't, you can't come to the scripture, you can't come to the gospels and say that all Jesus wanted to do was teach us how to be nice, how to sort of live together. Um, he's not somebody that's simply going to be put into that box um, and, uh, uh, as much as people want to see it. That's, that's definitely something I'm, I wanted to, uh, to air out. You can disagree, you know, you know, love that kind of interaction, but uh, trying to have those two subtexts throughout this class. So any comments or thoughts? Just kind of you know, taking the first five minutes or so, seven minutes of each week, just to kind of reset it, um, knowing that in a year's time, if by some grace, you look back on this class and say, what was that class that was last fall that Gil taught in the chapter room? I was like, oh yeah, that's where he kept using his hands. Um, I'm not sure what that was, but it had something to do with clarity. And he showed those videos that made me cry. I don't know what that was about, so, but, but at least there's that. Um, thoughts or comments? Um, yeah, for say. Hmm. It's almost like 
Indeed. Yeah. I mean, I think a heavy, everyday, realizing evil burden that comes with the wisdom. Yeah. A couple weeks ago when you were talking, that's what it's well put. I walked away from. I'm like, I want wisdom in moments. <laughs> yep. I think I'm just let that stand. That's, that's really good. So let's look at this video um, before we even get started with the text. About six minutes. Um, disclaimer, I've showed this before. It's a little French. I feel so um, erudite. And if you know me, this is totally not me. It's a, it's a short French film in subtitles. So I'm sorry. Uh, I don't speak French at all. Um, I have no idea where it came. And I showed this five, six years ago. So you might have seen this before. Um, but if you did, you've got a really, really good memory. Um, these two statements, we don't see things the way they are actually, but the way that we want to see them. And then this happens. Uh, but connected to the first, we don't see things the way they are, which means that we have no idea how much God loves us, which means you have no idea how much God loves you because of the filters, because of the, the mufflers on your ear. Uh, we don't see well. We don't hear well. We don't apprehend the truth and the, the depth, as, as Paul would say, the depth, the height, the breadth, and the width of God's love and what that means for us. This is a way to sort of get into some of that emotional space. Um, uh, this, this film, uh, which I don't think is a Christian film at all per se, but I think it's evoking a certain aspect of human nature that we might be able to play with. So um, I don't speak French. I don't even know how to say this. It means I love Paris. I love you. Who speaks French? What does that mean? Hi, Tim. Yeah. I can't read it, but... All right, so, well, whatever. It doesn't really matter. Um, I'll turn some lights off. It's about six minutes, so you can settle in. Is that too dark? Okay. Le pire de tout, c'était qu'il finissait toujours par commander ce qu'elle aimait. 
je ne sais plus si j'aime vraiment les partenaires. Je pense un petit Lorsqu'elle se mit à pleurer comme il ne l'avait jamais vu pleurer auparavant, la première chose à laquelle il pensa était qu'elle savait qu'il allait la quitter pour Marie-Christine, l'hôtesse de l'air fougueuse qu'il aimait depuis un an. So there's a nice little uplifting <laughs> ditty. Um, does anybody remember that when I showed it a few years ago? You did? You were here? Um, any thoughts on that? Any comments? It's a really interesting piece. I've seen it probably now, I don't know, half a dozen, eight times. Uh, 
there's there's a lot of layers to this little piece. Um, any thoughts or comments? I thought it was kind of maybe there was called damnation. <laughs> it was interesting, wasn't it? So, um, I don't know either. Yeah, that's good. Well, I think what they want to say is something like we we sometimes pull out and say, you know, fake it until you make it. And acting like a man in love, he became a man in love. And I hear that. That's not what I take from it. That's not what I'm taking from it. I think the red trench coat is the prevailing, that and the, the singing um, while she's making dumplings. But staying with the red trench coat, he... Well, the, here's the theme. In, 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 in being loved, we become loving. Um, we love because he f- we are first loved, because he first loved us. He had a hard heart. Um, he justified all of his behaviors, his actions, his distance, really, um, from her. He was unreconciled, to put it in cold biblical terms, uh, to his wife. Um, he created a wall and, and let it stay there and... And at some level, some known and some unknown, uh, you know, kept building that wall. Um, and then the papers came, terminal leukemia, and that wall quickly came tumbling down. And the trench coat, which before reinforced the wall, after she died, even many years later, it was a jolt. Every time he saw a woman in a red trench coat, what had he become? He'd become one who was loved, and now one who is loving. Now, the sadness, the profound sadness, is that he loves a woman who died. He loves his wife who died. Um, and every time he sees the red trench coat, that thing which before was the mechanism of his, his, uh, his unrepentant hardness of heart has now become the very thing which takes him to the truth, which takes him to the way things are actually. Before he had no idea, not only how much God loves him, but on a human level, he had no idea what it was like to love or to be loved. And Forsyth, you have a point here, I think, you know, with the whole burden of wisdom and the burden of love. Um, even in my premarital counseling with, with folks sometimes, we'll talk about love at last sight. It was a New York Times piece many years ago. Um, you know, we can all talk about love at first sight, falling in love in that moment and all that stuff. But, you know, for most instances, unless you're both dying in a car wreck or something else like that, somebody is going to bear the burden of love at last sight. Now, that's heavy. That's a hard word. Repentance sees things as they are, actually. So, let's take this to the scripture so we can ground this somewhere. Um, with that as the sort of primer, we look at Mark 7. Um, Mark 7 and 8. Uh, where's two healings, very interestingly, where um, uh, the, the Lord spits in both of these times. It's very strange. Um, so Mark 7, 31 through 37, and then we're going to skip over to Mark 8, 22 to 26. So if you have a, a Bible, you can turn turn to it. Mark 7, Jesus healing a deaf man. The next one's going to be a blind man. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. 
and taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephephtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So staying here for a couple of minutes, um, I'll start and then you know, chime in if you have anything else. Um, they brought to him a man. So this is like the paralytic that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, where they brought to Jesus a man. Since there was no room, four people went up, carried the pallet, dripped open the, uh, the roof, and lowered him. Now here again, they brought to him a man, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And just to highlight some words, which have been fun for me to sort of connect with again. There's that word begged, and I mentioned this before. Um, I never saw it until this. Until I was preparing for these classes. Uh, you know, one of the great words for me, anyway, in the in the scriptures, the word one of the words used for the Holy Spirit, the Paraclete, fancy legal word. It's a compound word, Paracleo. Cleo is to call, and so the one who is called alongside. It's a word that we use for lawyers still, um, as an advocate, one who is an advocate for another. Well, that's this word here, except they translate it as beggar. So I'm making a leap. I just find such rest in this word, this idea that the Holy Spirit, who is interceding for us, pleading for us, as Paul would say, with, with groans and deep sighs, which words cannot express, he's begging on our behalf to himself, to the Father. He is so for us as the Holy Spirit. He's begging, parakleo, um, uh, to God on our behalf. Um, so with that as a maybe just a, some some depth to a word, and they begged him to lay and they begged Jesus to lay his hand on him and taking him aside from the crowd privately. It's interesting. He's going to do this again in Mark eight, where he takes the blind man away. He does these healings here in desolate places. He goes away from the crowds, taking them apart privately. He goes into you might say into the Nazareths into the, the empty places, to the wilderness, to the spaces where people aren't so that God can inhabit the, uh, the healing completely. Taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. So gross. I mean, there's just no other way to say this. I mean, it's like, what in the world is Jesus doing here? And then in a moment, he's going to spit on this man's eyes who couldn't see. Uh, Here's a way, and I'm, this isn't just me, um, but it's sort of taking some depth here. I think we're hearkening back to Genesis 2. Um, what happens in Genesis 2? This is the creation of Adam uh, and later Eve. And how does the Lord create the world and all that's in it except for Adam? By a spoken word, he goes through and he says, Let there be light. Let there be fish, let there be dogs, let there be mountains, let there be separation from the water and the land, let there be everything. But then, on the sixth day, he said, now let us make man, um, let us make one in our own image. And then it says, and the Lord took the dust of the earth and he fashioned Adam, which means earth, and he fashioned man in his own image. What's happening here? The Lord is getting his hand, the God, 
Elohim, the Creator, is getting his hands dirty. He's taking the dust when he makes Adam. And he's actually in the midst of it. Not just by the spoken word, but now the word and his hands, as it were. And his hands are dirty. There's an echo there that comes forth now, and that was creation, as now as he's recreating the fallen world where he can't, the man cannot hear. And, and what's so important to God? That we hear. For faith comes by hearing, and hearing the very word of Christ. That, that hearing God is... Uh, I'm going to say this. I'm not, not going to elaborate it. Hearing is actually the definition of a human being. Um, what makes a human human is our hearing. Now, I'm not only talking you know, for people that are deaf. There's another way for that. But that's the, that's the defining part. Uh, scripturally speaking, of what makes a human a human. Uh, God's getting his hands dirty. He touches his ears and he spits on his hand and then he puts them in his ears. You know, small leap, but not a big leap. Filthy faces, muck, dirt, uh, plus spit, mud. Jesus is getting his hands muddy. He's in the muck and the dirt the filth, the waste, the refuse, the brokenness, the garbage, the trash of life. And he's right in there in the hot, steaming uh, pile of sin. I think it's a Luther phrase. Um, And he's right there. His hands are in it. Spitting, he touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed where there is a deep groan. I do think Paul has that echo. That's why I brought it out in Romans 8 where he talks about the Holy Spirit, the parakleo, is begging on our behalf with groans that words cannot express. There's that same timbre that goes on here. And Jesus, looking to heaven, groans, sighs, and says to him, Epaphta. It's an onomatopoeia. It sounds like what this is a groan, Epaphta, which means be opened. And the word with the hands brings into effect the very thing um, which is spoken. And God made Adam out of the earth and he recreates this blind man uh, I mean this deaf man uh, with uh, uh, with his act of grace and his ears were opened and his tongue was released and he spoke plainly we'll see this more with the blind man but I think again that's what I'm going to call this echo of repentance what is repentance repentance is seeing things as they actually are seeing things hearing things plainly truthfully honestly actually and then His ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it, the more zealously they preached it. And they were astonished beyond measure. So here we are again. Wonder, love, fear, awe, and praise. That's I'm heading up. That's going to be the last week when we do Romans 6, I mean, Mark 16. They were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. We can't see things the way they are, which means we have no idea how much God loves us. And so here's the blind man at Bethsaida. Um, Mark 8:22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged, there's a word again, and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and he led him out of the village, doing the same thing again. Um, uh, out into Nazareth, as you might say, the forgotten place. The place is like nothing good happens out there. Um, took him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he said, do you see anything? 
And he looked up, and the man who was blind looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. And then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. So here we go again, you know, repentance. Couldn't see everything clearly, even in stages. I see things, but not well. The tree, people look like trees walking around. And then the second touch, and he sees things clearly, repentance. And he sent him home saying, do not even enter the village. Um, so quick pause. Uh, let me get to one more part. But connections here, thoughts, disagreements. Um, these two wonderful and strange healings, bombing the spit, God getting his hands dirty into the steamy muck of life and, and brokenness, maybe pulling in um, the short film. Any, 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 any questions or thoughts? What's stirring? I, I noticed something. Yeah. Sorry, Omar. The in the video, he the the main character was lost. Yes. In the small things. And there's an old anecdote that I heard one time on Oprah of all places that you can complain about picking that sock up off. Yeah. But then one day that sock may not be there anymore, and then you will all of a sudden remember it. And as parents, we think about the same thing. We can complain about picking the toy up off the floor. But one day, maybe that toy won't be there. Amen. And I think through the adversity that happened with the diagnosis, all of a sudden, as he put it out, he started seeing clearly. Yep. And these little things that bothered him, suddenly he realized that's really what he loved about them. Yep. They're signs of life. Yep. They're signs of the life of the one that, who loves me and who I love. I completely agree. Completely agree. With Mark, is it? The term immediately comes to mind because his whole worldview and everything, the way he was looking at things and justifying things, just was completely destroyed in the moment. Yep. But immediately. I can see clearly now. Yep. Well, one more part. Um, uh, so then um, in Mark 8, uh, uh, Peter then confesses that Jesus is the Christ. Who do you say that I am? Uh, talking to everybody, to the or to the disciples. Some say Elijah. Some say um, John the Baptist. But what about what about y'all? Who do you say? And Peter gets it right. He says, "You're the Christ. You're the anoint. You're the one that we Israel have been waiting for 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 a couple of a couple of thousand years." And then Jesus goes on. And this is sort of the downhill part. Now this is where Mark really takes a shift. I want to pull one thing out of here from Mark 8:31, And he began to teach them, and Jesus began to teach the disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So here's the only thing I want to say about this. There's a lot to be said about this. Well-deserved, known piece of scripture where Peter says, you know, hear the Christ. And then in two verses, he's saying, you're satanic. What's going on? Um, going back to the, to the big themes. We can't see things the way they are, which means we have no idea how much God loves us, the height, the depth, the breadth, the width, um, the extent to which God loves us. And here's 
one thing that I want to say that the scripture is talking to you and to me about. Anything, anything, anything which gets somehow in between the reality of what's real, the actuality of what's actual, the truth of what's true about the depth, height, breadth, and width of God's love for you and for me, the extent of it is nothing other than satanic. Isn't that a strange word to put on that? That's what the Lord is saying. Get behind me, Satan. What is Peter getting in the way of? He's getting in the way of, I have to demonstrate my love for you. I have to, to go to the cross and uh, suffer many things, but on the third day rise again. I have to fulfill the scripture which my apostle Paul is going to write that says, I, God, will demonstrate my love for you and for you and for you in this, that while you are yet sinning, Christ died for you. Anything which gets in the way of that is satanic. But the Lord in his gracious action of this sort of pulls it across. And sometimes it's a heavy burden. And sometimes it's a glorious lifting of a weight which has kept us shackled and shamed and in bondage uh, and in the darkness and all the other metaphors that we use for it. Um, the Bible is very clear, I think very forcibly clear. Get behind me, Satan. Anything which tries to obstruct that word which tells you clearly how much the Lord loves you is of the evil one. It is fraught in the world, the flesh, and the devil himself. Um, so that's kind of that's the that's where I wanted to go. Um, so I found a way to get there by 8:50. Time for a comment or two, um, if you'd like one. Let me pray. Lord, um, I'm wrong somewhere. I always am. Um, all of us are. Uh, correct me in those places where I'm wrong. Um, where your word was uh, uh, spoken, Lord, where your word is heard, um, strengthen that and, uh, and let that be redoubled, tripled. Uh, indeed, Lord, let it return to you 30, 60, or 100 fold um, for the sake of, of, uh, of, uh, of each of us in the places of our muck and our mire, where we are broken, where we're blind, where we're deaf where we don't see things the way they actually are, um, uh, come to us. Um, and we'll do that in the sake, for the sake of Jesus Christ, who died for us, um, who is our Lord and our Savior. In Jesus, in his name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.